It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Cincinnati Reds have made the 2020 playoffs, and the Locked On Reds podcast will be here each and every day to chronicle the goings-on of the first winning Reds team in the last six years. My name is Jeff Carr, and I'm your host of the Locked On Reds podcast. Let's go! Today is the day, Reds fans. The Reds return to postseason baseball. Welcome into the Locked On Reds podcast. I'm going to get you set for that game. And later on, going to chat with Doug Gray about the Fall Instructional League, just to kind of give you a little bit of information on that as well. But we are all playoffs the rest of the way because the Reds are back. Game one today at noon, depending on when you're listening to this, might be after the game. We'll have a post-game recap coming up later Wednesday night and then getting you set for Game 2. Game 1 at 12.08, so just a little bit afternoon. Game 2, same time, just a little bit afternoon on Thursday. And Game 3 will be at 3 o'clock on Friday. And that's, you know, if it's needed, because hopefully the Reds will have won the first two games. Well, let's talk about game one here in just a moment. Before we do, make sure that you are subscribed on whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to. Also, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and follow the show at Locked On Reds on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Going to be all over the game. Going to be live tweeting it. For the most part, lots of reactions, lots of thoughts, random polls, all kind of stuff. You're not going to miss any of that. Also, check out the Locked On Reds line at 513-549-0159. Give me some reactions, some comments, some questions. We'll get to that all on the weekend episode this Weekend here on Locked On Reds. All right, so let's dive in. The Reds and the Braves are squaring off. The last time these two teams met in the National League playoffs was back in 1995. Didn't really like the uh, series outcome, though, as the Braves swept the National League Championship Series that year, right after the Reds swept the Dodgers in the Divisional Series. So it was all looking pretty good. And then the Braves, with one of the best pitching staffs in all of baseball, go on to win the World Series over the Cleveland Indians. But overall, this is a completely different scenario now. Now, the Reds have the amazing pitching staff going up against a pretty solid hitting team in the Braves. The Braves actually lead the National League in OPS, and they're 11 points higher than the Dodgers. Most people probably would have thought the Dodgers knew. Atlanta has an 832 OPS. Just for comparison, the Reds OPS as a team, 715. So a sight bit higher than the Reds are the Braves. And the Braves, one of the biggest reasons for that is their team slugging percentage is 80 points higher than the Reds. We talk about how the Reds are kind of homer or bust and some people don't like that and all that stuff. The Braves are actually one of the three National League teams that have hit more home runs than the Reds. They have 103 home runs as a team. 
And overall, they get on base just shy of 35% of the time, which is best in the National League as well. If it's one area that the Reds pitching staff may be able to take advantage of, it's strikeouts. The only team that struck out more than the Braves has been the Brewers. The Braves have struck out 573 times. To a lot of people who probably think the Reds strike out too much, that's actually 39 more times than the Reds. Reds have 534 team strikeouts. So it'll be interesting to see how the Reds pitching staff can handle this. Now, I will say this. The Reds and the Braves are both tied in one offensive category, and that's walks. Both teams have drawn 239 walks from the hitting side. And the the first guy that you look at in the Braves lineup is Freddie Freeman. He's going to be a handful for whoever is on the mound for the Reds, whether it be Bauer, Castillo, Gray, or somebody from the bullpen. Freddie Freeman probably is the favorite to win the National League MVP award. So that is in and of itself going to be a heck of a battle to watch here in game one as you've got the man who should be the National League Cy Young Award going up against one of the favorites to win the NL MVP. The reason Freddie Freeman is high up on that MVP list is pretty simple. Just look at his stats. He's got a 341 batting average, 462 on base, 640 slugging. You put that together, you get a 1,102 OPS. His OPS plus 186. He's got 13 home runs and 53 RBIs, 23 doubles. That's phenomenal. I mean, when you look at his statistics, he has a total of 37 extra base hits. It's actually more extra base hits than he has singles. He's he's just been phenomenal in 2020. It's got to be a handful. Plus, you've got Ronald Acuna, who is an amazing power bat in that outfield with 14 home runs in 46 games played. He has missed some time with a wrist injury, but he is healthy now. He was a scratch in the final day of the season. Reports are that that is not going to be a problem for him in the playoffs. And then also one other name, and you may remember this name based on the offseason reports and rumors and guys that People wanted to see the red sign. Marcel Ozuna has absolutely torn the cover off the ball in 2020. After the Braves signed him throughout the season, he's played every game with a 338 batting average, 431 on base, and a 1,067 total OPS. He's got 18 home runs and 56. RBIs. The Reds will likely see former Red Adam Duvall in the lineup as well. He's hit 16 home runs this year. Now, don't let that fool you. That's pretty much all he does. But hey, homers aren't bad. Elsewhere in the Braves lineup, you can look at Ozzy Albies. He's a pretty good player. Dansby Swanson, Austin Riley is an interesting young player. Not the best of statistics, but he can still go yard on you. He's got eight homers on the year. And a heavy hitter at catcher as well with Travis Darno and his 321 batting average with nine homers and 34 runs knocked in here in 2020. So yes, you say all that to say this, the Braves are very good at scoring runs. Let's take a quick look at their pitching staff as well. Who is on the mound in game one for them? It'll be Max Freed. Max Freed actually had a really good start to the season. In his first eight starts, he had an ERA south of two. 
Now, that's not to say that he really blew up and things got bad for him because he finished the season with a 2.25 ERA in 56 innings pitched. He's got 50 strikeouts in those 56 innings compared to 19 walks. Only allowed two home runs all year. We'll have to see what the homer or bust lineup for the Reds has in store for Max Freed. Looking at the bullpen, there's a couple of names to know. Mark Melanson, you might remember him. He was a former Pirate, former Giant. He's been around. He's the Braves' closer this season. He's got a 2.78 ERA in 22 and two-thirds innings pitched. A couple other names to look at as well. Couple of guys that are going to try to get from the starter to Melanson. Shane Green, number one. He's got 27 and two thirds in his pitch with a 2.6 ERA. And then you also look at Chris Martin, who in 18 innings has allowed so few base runners that I can almost count them on one hand. He has eight hits allowed and three walks allowed compared to 20 strikeouts, which Pretty much means he barely gives up any runs. His ERA is at one. It's because he's given up one home run and two earned runs total in those 18 innings pitched. Now, he is a little bit hobbled, uh, kind of a day-to-day type injury as he exited the final game of the season on Sunday early with uh, a groin injury. It's interesting to note, last season as the Braves entered the postseason in 2019, he also had an injury that kept him out of game one of the National League Divisional Series because of throwing some warm-up pitches, he injured his oblique. And that turned out to be pretty bleak for the Braves. Okay, that was really corny. I'm sorry about that. But when you look at this, these are the two guys to look at, not necessarily as daunting as Devin Williams and Josh Hader were in the Brewers series or anything like that, but they are still very good pitchers, and they lead to Mark Melanson. I mean, and they've just got talent in this bullpen as well when you look at another former Giants closer in Will Smith. Will Smith, you'll see his ERA is 4.5 on the season and 16 innings pitched. It's all because he's just given up a bunch of home runs. He's got seven home runs compared to eight earned runs allowed. So everything's coming on the long ball against Will Smith. The Reds may see him in this series as well. That's the pitching staff. That's the Braves. Going to be an interesting series. I'm going to tell you why I believe the Reds are going to win it here. And it's not just because I'm biased. not just because I love our Reds. You know I do. But I firmly believe the Reds are in position to win this wildcard series and move on to the divisional series We'll talk about that here in just a minute. But before we do, have you checked out the brand new website, OhioVerseEveryone.com? It just started at the beginning of August, and it covers all things Ohio sports and pop culture. That way you know you're getting all of the great content that you look for as an Ohio sports fan. They've got everything from Cincinnati sports and the Reds and the Bengals. They've even got Buckeye football as the Big Ten looks to start up here soon and some Cleveland stuff as well. So maybe you're an Indians fan. I don't know why you'd be listening to the Lockdown Reds podcast. Or maybe you like the Browns, I guess. Some people do. And you can find all that stuff at OhioVerseEveryone.com. They do have a lot of great Reds content up there. Check them out, OhioVSEveryone.com. The brand new website dedicated to Ohio sports and pop culture. OhioVerseEveryone.com.
All right, we set up the Braves here in the first half of the episode, especially talking about the hitting. Let me tell you why the Reds are going to win. Simply, the pitching. They match up exactly like the World Series champions from last year. I'm talking about the Washington Nationals. If you remember right, they came in as a wild card team. They beat the Brewers in the wild card round. Then they shocked the Dodgers in the divisional round before sweeping the Cardinals in the championship round and beating the Astros in seven games during the World Series. The thing about it was they had great pitching, and they had great starting pitching as well. Their bullpen wasn't really anything to shake a stick at. I mean, when you look at the numbers on their relief pitching, Sean Doolittle, his ERA was over four. Wander Cerro, ERA over four. Javi Guerra, ERA over four. Tanner Rainey, just below four. Matt Grace, guy who had 46 and two-thirds innings pitched, ERA over six. I mean, these are guys that they relied on quite a bit, and it's not as if they were coming in with sub-1, sub-2 ERAs out of the bullpen. No, the key was the starters kept the ball out of the bullpen's hands. The bullpen only pitched when they absolutely had to. I mean, you go down this rotation, you had Strasburg, who had amazing numbers in 209 innings pitched, 3.3 ERA. You had Max Scherzer in 172 and a third innings pitched, 2.9 ERA. Patrick Corbin, 3.2 ERA in 202 innings pitched. That's a lot of numbers, but basically it is to say they had three dominant dudes at the top of that rotation that just shut everyone down. Strikeouts per nine. Max Scherzer, 12.7. Patrick Corbin, 10.6. Steven Strasburg, 10.8. Let's look at the Reds. Trevor Bauer, strikeouts per nine, 12.3. Luis Castillo, 11.4. Sonny Gray, 11.6. Hell, we'll even stretch it one more. Tyler Malley, 11.3. They strike people out. They pitch a lot. They pitch really well as well. I mean, Trevor Bauer's got a sub one whip. In fact, he's got a sub eight. A sub point eight whip, which means he's not even hardly allowing a walk and a hit per inning. Maybe hardly even a walk and a hit per two innings. It's absolutely a phenomenal thing. The Reds have this advantage over everyone. I'm telling you what, there's nobody in the National League that has a better pitching staff. I put them up against anybody. Really would. They got the best rotation there is. And when you put in this bullpen, ever since the 16-2 drubbing that they took in St. Louis, the bullpen has a 2.86 ERA. So since September 1st, the bullpen's ERA is the exact same as the starter's ERA of 2.86 as well. Everybody's really hunkered down, led by Rysel Iglesias. Dude has been phenomenal. Everybody that said he was up for dead, let's get another closer. Let's get somebody else in there. Y'all need to be eating some crow because Rice Iglesias has been phenomenal in the second half of the season. I believe he's going to carry it into the postseason here. And look, we're not going to sit here and tell you that the hitting got phenomenally better. In fact, in some cases, it's not. It's maybe gotten a little worse. They, they hit 204 in the last month of the season. The thing is, they have timely hits. The Reds' team batting average jumps 20 points whenever runners are in scoring position. Now, I know that's not the best number in the world, 231, but it's still a lot better than their team average. They've got 21 homers with runners in scoring position and an 803 OPS. 
Not bad numbers there, not bad. And you've got guys getting hot at the right time. Mike Moustakis is on fire right now. Shogo Akiyama, what pitcher wants to take that dude on? Dude sees so many pitches in an at-bat. I'm looking forward to seeing him in this postseason. Now here's the thing. Just get ready. Game one, Max Freed, he's a lefty. We're probably not going to see Shogo start. Now, he should be the first dude off the bench as soon as Max Freed is out of the game. According to... Uh, Mark Sheldon on MLB.com, he kind of had a frequently asked questions type article about this postseason series. And looking at Max Freed, Max Freed actually has not pitched deep into games very often this season. And because of that, the Reds could possibly get into the Braves bullpen. And he also, Mark Sheldon wrote this with Mark Bowman from the Braves.com website. And they looked at this and they said that Freed probably gets pulled maybe pitches five innings and maybe gets pulled in the sixth for the Braves bullpen. And in that case, you're seeing a lot of right-handers. So Shogo could come into this game after maybe only two at-bats from the right-hander who's going to lead off. I don't know if it's going to be Senzel or if it's going to be Aquino. I know Senzel's been really struggling to end the season. Part of it was he really never got going. Like as soon as he started going, he got hurt. He was gone for a while. And he's been back, and he, he's been playing so sparingly, it's hard to get a rhythm going when you're playing that sparingly. So we're probably going to see Aquino in that leadoff spot. I know that's going to uh, come to the ire of many of you, but that's just how this is going to go today. All right, we're, now we're going to talk some Fall Instructional League with Doug Gray from RedsMinorLeagues.com. Kind of get you set up for that. And stick around for my attempt at a hype speech for this game one of this wild card. I don't know how this is going to go. We'll see. All right, here we go. All righty, for my next segment, I have back with me, friend of the show, Doug Gray. He's from RedsMinorLeagues.com and RedLegNation.com. He's also written a piece about the Instructional League that's taking place right now in Arizona. Lots of different teams that are having their Instructional League teams play each other other if i got that right but okay well first of all doug set me straight on that one let's run over the basics with this the instructional league that's happening here in the fall what about it well you were right they they are playing a schedule of actual games against other teams um you know the, the, they weren't very sure if that was going to happen immediately um once they got the approval from major league baseball to actually have instructional league this year um because there there was some thought out there that some teams may want to keep things internal not really take the chances of you know, having some sort of interaction with somebody else and, you know, having a breakout and having to shut everything down. So there was a thought that maybe a few teams would keep to themselves and just kind of have inter-squad games and, you know, basically just kind of an extension of what was going on at the uh, the, the alternate sites. Um, but, you know, with the younger guys out in the instructional league. But everybody decided that, hey, it's probably better for us to play games against each other, um, you know, not see the same pitcher for four straight weeks and, you know, see, see different guys to bring different things to the table. And um, and so that that's good. I, I think that having that competition is is probably better. Um, you know, even just talking with some of the, the Reds pitchers that were at, you know, Prasco Park, you know, they had mentioned that, you know, it, it's a little bit different because while they're out there, they're, they're competing against their teammates. There are certain things you can't execute on. You, you, you second guess throwing inside, um, you know, when it's, when it's your teammate, your friend up there, um, <laughs> And especially in, in a non-competitive situation where, you know, the, the game, quote unquote, doesn't matter, the one that you're playing. But you, you don't want to, you know, try and, you know, run your fastball inside because if it gets away a little bit, well, now you're, you know, 
your buddy and your third baseman has a broken hand. And I mean, you don't ever want to break somebody's hand, but you definitely want to break the hand of the guy that's on your team. Um, and so, you know, when you're facing other teams and you're in that competitive environment, um, you're, you're, you're not going to second guess throwing that, that cutter on the inside corner. You're not going to think, man, if I let this thing get away from me a little bit, um, you know, that guy over there, you know, he, he might take one off of the forearm. That, that, that's not something going through your head. And, you know, guys didn't get that this year. Um, you know, there were 55 to 60 guys uh, this year in every organization that has anywhere from 250 to 350 players in it uh, that, that got to play. Uh, there was no minor league season this year. Uh, spring training for the minor league guys got shut down before they actually even started playing games. Now, they, they were out in Arizona and out in Florida um, getting ready, and they were doing some intra-squad stuff, but they didn't actually start playing games before spring training got shut down. So this will really be the, the first true competition against other teams that they've had since last year. Yeah, I could only imagine like team game night or team night out getting dinner or something like that, and you broke the other guy's hand across the table. It's like, oh, hey, yeah, sorry, dude. And he throws his drink in your face or something like that. It's a little bit different <laughs> when it's on your own team. And I, I, I could definitely get on board with that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, when you're talking about this instructional league, are we going to be seeing like Hunter Green and guys like that playing for the Reds? Or how is this going to work? I'd be surprised if we saw Hunter Green out there. Um, one, he's coming off of Tommy John surgery. Well, he's definitely healthy. He was at the alternate site. He got his innings in. Um, I, I think that they're now here. The, the Reds are the, uh, oh, I'm sorry. The Giants are the only team that's going to be out in Arizona. that is going to have more than one instructional league team. Uh, the reason for that is, and I don't know why it was decided that the Giants get to have two. Um, maybe they, maybe they volunteered other teams weren't, um, as prepared. Um, and we'll, we'll get into the reason for that preparation in a second, but, um, there's, there's 15 teams out in, in Arizona and to have, a full schedule, you need an even number of teams. So one of the teams has two, it's the Giants. That way they can have eight and eight. Um, and, you know, they can play eight games on any given day. Um, but so the Reds are only going to have one team, and they're going to have 40 players. Um, and, you know, the, the reason that are limited to, I mean, they're not necessarily limited to 40 players. It's not a, a set thing for Major League Baseball, but there are protocols, just like there are for the Major League uh, situation, and there were at the alternate sites. Um, for testing, um, you know, a, a limited number of people can do this, that, and the other. They want to keep groups small. Um, they they don't want to have an outbreak and a situation happen like what happened to, say, the St. Louis Cardinals or the Miami Marlins, where basically your entire team is taken out and you have to sit around for, you know, two to three weeks and not play baseball because Instructional League is only going to be five weeks. Um, and if, if you're the team that's out, you know, the other team's not going to sit around and wait for you and then, you know, pick things back up in the middle of November when your team can play again. They're going to send their guys home. Uh, and so, you know, there's there, there's protocols. They want to keep everybody healthy, safe, um, and not just the players, all the staff that has to be there, too. They, they want to make sure that everybody's, you know, good to go. Uh, and so they're, they're limiting it to 40 players. Um, I, I don't think that we're going to see anybody that goes out to Arizona that was at the alternate site. Um, those guys, they got, well, I don't want to say none of them. Some of the guys that showed up in, in September, some of the younger guys who realistically have no chance of making the, the Reds big league roster this year, uh, you know, guys like Reese Hines, who, you know, he played three games after being drafted in 2019 before he got hurt. 
and he didn't play again until he went to the alternate site in September this year. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, some of the younger guys like that that played in Dayton last year or in Reese Hines' case played in uh, Greenville for, for three days. Uh, those guys will probably head out to Arizona to play. But, you know, Hunter Green, um, Jonathan India, guys like that, they're probably not going to be out in Arizona playing. They got their time in. They got time on the field. They had a little bit of development that they could, you know, realistically lean on for next year. Whereas a lot of these other guys, you know, their development time was, hey, I'm going to throw to this net or I'm going to try and, you know, find a guy who can throw a decent slider in my area and hopefully he can throw hard enough that it actually matters. Um, Because not everybody has that in their town. Not everybody lives in Atlanta or Southern California. Some guys live in Oklahoma and, you know, how many guys are you going to find in Oklahoma that have professional baseball or even higher level college baseball experience that can throw you, you know, 90 mile per hour fastballs with something that isn't even halfway decent secondary pitches. Um, a, a lot of those guys aren't, they don't have that same opportunity. Uh, and so, you know, just getting them anything this year is a lot better than having nothing. So you mentioned that the giants were more prepared than other teams. You mind elaborating on that? I mean, I, I don't want to say they're more prepared, um, but everybody has to be prepared um, to handle the, the testing protocols. They have to have the space to let's let's say that the I don't, I don't know how many players are going to be in each t- team for the Giants. But let's say it, let's say it's 40 um, on each team. They've got to have enough space in their uh, facility to have 80 minor league players. Plus, let's say there's, you know, six coaches and training staff on each team that's that's 12 plus 80 um and then you've got to have clubhouse guys well that's probably another six so now we're, we're pushing 100 people that you've got to have space for testing for um you have to be able to provide housing for all of these guys and you know while while i don't think that a major league team should have a problem with this you've got to pay all these guys now too the instructional league in the past guys don't get paid for that um it was basically, hey, we're inviting you out here, and technically you can say no, but no one's ever going to say no to being invited to that because it's kind of viewed as a privilege to be brought out there for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't get, they never got paid for that. Well, this year because there was no minor league season, guys are getting paid for it. So it's 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 extra money that the organization has to take on on top of all the extra money for the, the testing protocols, the food protocols, um, and there, there's a few other little things that they've got to pay for that they in a normal year they wouldn't have to um and so it's 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 a financial thing that teams are having to take on that they usually wouldn't have to um and i mean again i I don't know why it was the giants that got the two teams it could have been any team i don't know if they volunteered for or not but they, they do have to take on a little bit more because they do have that second team you mentioned as well, and, and I, I was curious about this whenever I read about the fall instructional league. Will they still have the instructional league right before spring training on top of this? Um, nothing is official. Um, I, I would not be surprised if it happened. Um, obviously, you know, with, with what's going on in the world right now, you, you're going to have to wait and see where things are at. Um, hopefully they're doing better than they are now because that means absolutely – uh, there's a chance that it could happen. Um, the the Reds are one of the teams, and we've seen it a lot more out with the teams in Arizona than in Florida in the last couple of years. Uh, they actually have been one of the teams that pushed their instructional league from the fall to the spring or right before spring training. Um, and I, the idea behind that was that, you know, 
when you had instructional league after the regular season, you know, they give guys two or three weeks off and then they come back out and guys were just still beaten down, worn down from the season. Uh, and so they, they felt that they weren't able to get the most out of these guys. Um, you know, when they're, they're even, even if it's just like one-on-one kind of stuff with, with a, a specific coach, like let's say you bring Barry Larkin out there to work with your shortstops and your second baseman and your third baseman. Um, just, it, 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 it's easier to work with them on fundamental things, learning new things when their body feels good, when it's rested, it's ready to go, uh, versus, you know, seven months into a season where you're beat down, worn down, everything's kind of hurting a little bit, not everything's as loose as it would be if, say, you did it in late January, early February. Uh, and uh, a lot of teams kind of felt that and figured that out, that it was better for it to work out that way. Um, but, you know, the Reds have also done things like strength camp um, out in Arizona. They've had, you know, leadership groups where they've invited, you know, 10 to 15 guys out there that they, they thought were, they, they'd shown good leadership abilities. Um, and so they, they've had a, multiple of these kind of little different small group camp kind of things over the last couple of years uh, before spring training as well as having their instructional together. So I wouldn't be surprised if they were able to try and, you know, work something like that into, you know, late January, early February, once again, this year. Is this something, and this might be like a little bit too deep, maybe something they're still working on right now, but is this something that people will be able to watch on YouTube or something like that? I wish, but I would absolutely bet against it. Um, one, I, I don't think there'd be enough interest in it uh, mm-hmm. for people to, or for Major League Baseball to send somebody out there and spend all the money to get it all set up. Um, I mean, heck, right now, only about half of the teams in Minor League Baseball have that. Um, so I, I'd be very surprised if that were to happen. Um, but hey, if anybody's listening and uh, you want some technical advice on how to get it set up, Reds or anybody else who would happen to play the Reds, uh, I know a guy who can tell you how to do it on the cheap. So uh, <laughs> hit me up. There is no better resource for Reds Minor League content than RedsMinorLeagues.com. Doug's got all of the corners covered when it comes to the prospects and the farm system of the Cincinnati Reds. Doug, I thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. All right. I hope you have enjoyed this feeling. I hope you have enjoyed the fact that the Reds have clinched a postseason berth because now the tension is back. Now the tension is stronger. October baseball is here, except it's September, but whatever. It's about to be October, and it's the Reds and the Braves here in the postseason. Every single pitch, you're going to feel this twinge in your stomach, just in case you've forgotten. Some of you may have. Some of you may remember. Some of you even remember the actual postseason success of the Cincinnati Reds. Not something I can really claim to remember, but I remember what it was like to watch those games. What we felt these last two weeks of the season, the just gripping of, oh my gosh, every single at-bat is key and important, it's about to get twice as heavy here today, starting at noon, as Max Fried will tow the rubber, and probably Aristides Aquino will step into the batter's box, and we'll get the postseason underway for the Reds here in 2020. They're going to win this series. I'm calling it. The Reds are going to win this series and move on to the divisional round. This pitching staff was set up for postseason success. We're talking about Bauer, Castillo, 
gray. That's the three-game series here against the Braves. I don't care that it's in Atlanta, and I don't care that it's against a lineup like Atlanta's. The Reds are going to shut them down. The Reds are going to move on. Let's have some fun with this series here starting at noon, and make sure you come back tomorrow. We'll recap all of the goings-on in Game 1 right here on the Locked on Reds podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and joining me today. Make sure that you're subscribed. That way you always get each and every episode in your podcast queue. Also, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and follow the show at Locked On Reds and save that Locked On Reds line number into your phone. Hit me up with all your reactions, your comments, questions, whatever you've got, 513-549-0159 and on Twitter as well. I'll be all over the game today. I am so looking forward to this, but for now, that'll do it for us on today's podcast. Now, tell your smart device to play Locked On MLB. And I will talk to every single one of you tomorrow. Let's go Reds! Let's go Reds. Hey! Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.